I don't want a big old. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode 174. I've been getting the numbers wrong consistently for a while, but this is 174. I am your host, Moto GP, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. I thought it was uh, episode two of season. Uh, now I don't even know the season. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we're on season six now. This is episode two of season six, but it's 174 in sort of the grand canon. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to interject or try anymore. It was, yeah. it was a mistake. Well, the whole seasons are make-believe, right? And yeah. they don't make any sense in the context of any of like Apple podcasts or or um, Spotify or any of those. They don't give a shit about seasons or anything. It's it's really just something to sort of break things up from from different points, you know, historic moments in the show. So let's see here. We are going to talk this week. We we're going to get a catch up on emails because we haven't done that for a while. We are going to do best worst bike in the world this week, as always. We've got an update on our electric bike adventures, and we have an up. Uh, oh, and our uh, our kind of discussion topic for this week is why no FIM ADV racing series. So there we go. Let's see, do we want to start with emails or do we want to start with best worst bike? You think, Swigs? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Oh my god. Do you want to start with emails or should we go into best worst bike first? Let's do best worst bike. Okay. So here we go. If you haven't figured it out by now, well, that's your fault, but I'll explain it real quick. We've each chosen a bike. We don't know what those bikes are. We're going to reveal them and they'll be a surprise. One of them is going to be the best bike in the world this week. One of them is going to be the worst. And we're just going to kind of make up arguments for that. So, Swigs, this week you have worst bike in the world this week. I do. All right. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The Benelli TNT 600. Uh, well, this is the two 300s glued together? Yes. Okay. I don't uh, know if they've made an act like a proper inline four since. Uh, but when it came out, it was definitely... Uh, it was, in fact, two of the 300 motors uh, just slapped together. Yeah. Now, this is very much Z650 wannabe. Yes. But there are some issues. Um, so, ultimately, when you look at the price, this is like two-thirds the price of a CBR 650R. It's $6,000 for a bike with about 70 horsepower and 35 foot-pounds of torque. Which, Wait, how much horsepower? 70 Okay. Well, that's not terrible, but yeah, you'd think a little bit more out of a 600 inline four. Right. Now, uh, that's not super terrible. And you know, at the price, it kind of makes a bit of sense. 
Except that'd be a lot more interesting as a twin. That's what I was about to say. Rather than... You don't want to think of it as an inline four. You want to think of it as the best 600 twin. Right. But it's not. I know. Now, yeah. Now they say... Now the peak torque is only... Is 35 foot pounds. Ooh, that's a little low. Well... Get ready for this. This must have ridiculously low compression. This must be like nine or nine and a half to one. Uh, they say it's eleven and a half to one. I don't believe it. Then it must rev ridiculously slow. Like it must, it must redline at like eight and a half thousand RPM. So I think there is some fuckery when they tuned this thing because. Instead of just designing a motor from the ground up, um, you know, taking the twins and slapping them together, they do some interesting things. So that 35 foot-pounds of torque... So redline for... Some say 67 horsepower, some say 70. At 11,000 RPM redline. The peak torque of 35 foot-pounds is at 9,000 RPM. So, I I don't know if they really got much more out of this motor than than double what the uh, the uh, the three hundred did. Now I rode the three hundred and I kind of liked it. Yeah, well, it was it was still more power than like a CBR three hundred R single. Well, what we need to let people know is that. Benelli, if you're not up to date on this, is not really an Italian company anymore. And it's it's bizarre because they're not uh, – so it's really Shang Zhang is what we're really talking about here. Well, no, it's SSR. Which is also Shang Zhang. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, people are going to recognize SSR. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, right. So these are people that are capable of making things that you will enjoy, but there is a budget component to this that cannot be ignored. Yeah. So with that in mind, I would be willing to bet that part of the tuning on this as well, and the fuckery you might be alluding to, is them going, well... Americans like their inline fours. They like their inline fours, but there's also emissions regulations that we're going to have to deal with. So let's just not make it like rev so high and let's keep emissions down by cutting performance. I, I That's my guess, which is weird because normally when you up performance, you're going to get less emissions, but there's ways that like companies especially these Chinese bike companies can massage this. They're like, oh, well, we know they're going to test the bikes at these RPMs, right? It's kind of like the Volkswagen diesel scandal. Like, let's engineer these cars to make these emissions under these specific situations. And otherwise, they're going to be environmental disasters, right? Right. And I, I think that might be a little bit of what's happening here. Because I... I haven't heard anyone say that these Benelli's are total garbage. In fact, I think a lot of people are are loving the um, the new adventure bike, like the it's like a six hundred or five hundred and eighty cc like twin or something. Oh, the TRK. Yeah, uh, 
Like people aren't complaining that they're falling apart. They're not total garbage, but you do need to know that this is not the Benelli of old, which was sort of handcrafted, race-inspired Italian small displacement, you know, kind of race bikes. This is so that's the a other whole different game. So that's the other element of it, uh, because it's legacy fraud. Oh, of course it is. But yeah. it's it's legacy fraud in a way that like you might see it at a distance or say somebody say or tell somebody, you know, I've got a Benelli. Like, you've got a Benelli? Really? And then you go to look at it and you're like, oh, what what is this? It's like, oh, you know, Benelli, that you know, it's an SSR. It's like an S Oh, it's Chinese. This isn't really a Benelli, is it? And it's kind of because the shift to a budget brand is such a stark thing. Like it's a little bit worse. You know, uh, you know, yeah. I, I like well, on the, on the website, they talk about how, you know, all great industries are, have, you know, started in garages and, you know, in the Benelli garage, it all started in 1911. It's like, shut up. Look, I, it's pretty egregious legacy fraud. Well, it's also frustrating because you and I have witnessed the the people that you would think would least embrace a Chinese brand embrace SSR in a very big way over the last couple of years. And yes. especially this last year of going to the track, we just keep seeing more and more SSRs and people really genuinely loving them. People being able to buy these bikes for their kids or for themselves to tool around on and not have to work on them every single time they take them to the track and not break the bank doing it. And the bike totally being able to live up to their rider ability and all of that and well, just and, the and concept they really of, embrace it so so well, the concept of having a cheap bike with dealership support yes and so you're you're sort of left thinking like well since they're embracing that so hard why not just drop the benelli stuff and go with ssr for a a, a cheap and cheerful road bike brand as well because you've already made your inroads right yeah, why not just embrace it? Yeah, like no one's really getting all excited about the the Benellis. And the Benellis that people do kind of get excited about, they're only like the, like people love like the the TNT like 125, right? Right. The, they they like like the little Grom clone that they make and stuff. They're not really going in for these big ones. And I think it's because if someone's going to buy a bike with an Italian name and stuff. They really need the Italian flashiness to go with it. And this bike really lets you down on the Italian flashiness, especially yeah. since they make a big deal about the fact that the design portion of the company is still in Italy, supposedly, or at least they were saying that a couple of years ago. I don't know if they still are. I think technically there is still a team in Italy. Um, but I, yeah, it's. I mean, but it's also not really that big of a factor. Um, I, mean, I mean, is maybe it really? They were going for the fact that a lot of these off-road bike guys, you know, are, there's a lot of gun crossover, so they're like, "Oh, Benelli guns!" Like we, we, there's some recognition there. Maybe they were banking on that. I yeah, I don't know. I, but, I get I mean, why they did it in the first place. I think it's time to switch strategies. 
I think so too. Well, also, if you look at like the TRK, like what about this bike screams Italian? Well, it, the only thing that screams Italian about the TRK is it's a direct ripoff of the Multistrada. Uh, not really. I think it is. I think it screams poor man's Multistrada. Uh, well, the new the headlights on the new one do, yeah, a little bit, but I don't know. It's anyway, yeah. I, I get you. This thing is um, it it's it's just a little bit of a letdown, right? You you want to love it. You want to be like, oh, Benelli's are cool, like you know all this. Uh, you know, we don't care that it's Shang Zhang, you know, but. It's just, it's always going to have this baggage for every person you tell them, mm-hmm. you talk to about it. Yeah. I mean, I think they're getting a little closer to the mark with the uh, the new, uh, the Leoncino. Um, that seems to be kind of hitting the mark with people a little bit better. It does have some somewhat kind of Italian-ish styling to it. It's not really retro, but it's not this Z600 or Z900 wannabe ripoff bike either. Do they even still do the TNT 600? I mean, if they do, I bet its days are totally numbered. Yeah, they do. It's under sport. Oh, okay. I didn't know that it was still a constant. Well, I guess they're going to sell it. They're going to keep having it till they sell them all, aren't they? Hmm. I, I think like the Leoncino is really the direction for Benelli. But again, I would just put SSR on it. Like why be ashamed? Exactly. It's it's the it's the better brand at this point. Uh, SSR definitely carries a lot more meaning for me than Benelli does, even though it's really the same company. Um uh so yeah. Um hmm. I don't have much more to say about it other than um I, I well, I think the the TNT six hundred problem again was when SSR was making their big push for all these different dealerships and expanding the network. That you know, the Benelli was going along with it. I think they were saying like, well, let's go with these two brands, and if one fails, the others there to pick it up. Right. And it was like, well, you can't just go into the United States with a big line of small displacement road bikes. You need at least something middleweight. So they just had to kind of come up with this 600. So on top of it not being that great, it's really a bike from like 2015 as well. It's sort of like the reverse movie theater popcorn choice. Yeah. Where you know how like a small popcorn is like 25 cents per popped kernel of corn. Right. But – is but if you spend twice as much, you can get ten times the popcorn by getting the large. So you might as well get the large. This is the inverse of that. Yeah. But you're you're convinced that you need to get the three hundred because of how unreasonable the six hundred is. Right. Now I'm. I think they could do. I think if it was just branded as. An SSR, I think I could go more for it. Well, there's one way, there's something that I would like, but the the one move that they could pull that I think would be absolutely brilliant and genius. Um, if they just took this dumb idea of putting two TNT 300s together, I think if they just put 
three TNT 300s <laughs> together. Because uh, uh, an older best bike in the world this week was the Benelli um, SEI 750, their inline six, oh, with yeah, the six yeah. into six exhaust. If you're going to do this kind of legacy fraud, go whole fucking hog and give us the greatest bike Benelli ever made and do a new 750 inline six. And, you know, like take like the Leoncino thing and make it an inline six with three of these freaking motors and just fucking go for it. Don't make the tank any bigger or anything. Just have, yeah. just have an extra cylinder sticking out either side. Uh-huh. Well, and here's the other thing. I who's going to give a shit because you're just the bike's just going to be sold on wackiness. How much cost is it really going to add, right? You've already like done a whole thing to put through, you know, two of these motors together. I mean, use the same frame. I you know, like it's fine. Just you just need to change some engine casings a little bit to widen them out a few moldings and stuff. But again, you're just replicating the top end three times instead of two. It's not that hard. It's really not. And, and you don't have to make it rev very high either. Keep it at 70 horsepower, but make it bigger. Like no one's going to care. People will just buy it because it's kooky. And then you've got a retro bike that actually does offer something besides styling. You've got just a weird like throwback kooky and, you know, because that was that was engineering back then in the in the in the sixties. It was like, well, I don't know how to make this engine more powerful per cc without adding more cylinders and valve. And so they just did it. I right. It, this is this is sort of the motorcycle example of like, um, you know, you, you read about those like nineteen uh, twenties luxury cars like Duesenbergs where. You know, they're like 18 cylinders, right? And, and they still only make 100 horsepower because right. it was like, well, I, we, we don't know how to make it more compression. We're not really into metallurgy, but we can go through all the hassle of making these crazy sandcast moldings and make you this many cylinders. I, sure. And we'll go through all the hard effort of doing that. And that's why it'll be expensive and it will make more power. It'll weigh a lot more, but it will make more power. And there you go. And I, you know, the genius of Honda is that they managed to make more cylinders and make the motors rev faster at the same time. <laughs> well, wasn't Honda making like eight cylinder, like eight cylinder, hundred and fifty cc motors? Oh yeah, yeah. There was like a five cylinder one sixty six. Like well no well there's an RC one six six but I think there's actually an RC that was a hundred and sixty cc's or something like, like that like when the when, and it was when, five cylinders yeah yeah when all when all the racing leagues were all like just displacement it's like well here's a one fifty cc V eight two stroke right yeah <laughs> come at us <laughs> come at us <laughs> yeah um. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't play football. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Do we want to move on to best bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is the 1982 Suzuki RM250Z. So this is a pretty badass thing. So um, 
I think that anyone that really wants to go, I, I think the next, the next Triumph Bonneville or CB750 bikes that you can buy for nothing right now that will be worth something restored or whatever are these late seventies, but even more specifically early to mid eighties, two stroke motocross bikes, especially the two fifties. Uh, I mean, we all know CR 500s have been climbing in some value and stuff. Cause it's just so kooky to have a big ass 500 CC two stroke, but these two fifties were really the sweet spot. What year was this? So 82 is the year I'm picking specifically. Okay. And that's for many reasons. So Suzuki um, had a bunch of successful race bikes all throughout the 70s. But there, uh, we had said before, one of the worst bikes in the world this week was the TM uh, 250. And that was a bike that had a, a decent motor and the works racing version of it was fantastic. And Suzuki was winning all over the place, but the one you bought out of the showrooms was a disaster. And that's when Suzuki switched to the RM bikes and the RM bikes were basically race bikes out of the box for motocross. And so in 1982, Suzuki had arguably the best motocross bike for factory racing and just a bike that you buy out of the showroom floor, off the showroom floor. And it was their RM250. There was a 465 and there was a 125. Um, and uh, actually the 465 might have been a 480 by 82. I'm not sure. But anyway, they, they had these bikes. And there's three kind of distinct eras for real motocross bikes. You've got your late 60s, very late 60s, 70s two-stroke bikes, which are very much like um, like the DT100 and the CT175, where they're kind of really just road bikes, small displacement road bikes with you know smaller forks, weight savings here and there, but they're not really motocross bikes. And then you get to the very late 70s, early 80s, and you get these bikes that are noticeably like no component on them is any good for the road. And the suspension is a lot better and the weight savings have gotten extreme and the durability and you know, they're kind of designed to be crashed now. They don't have metal tanks anymore, right? They got plastic tanks and they've got things to protect the radiators. If they have radiators, they have special swing arms. They have there's and by 1982, if you remember talking about Honda Pro Link suspension, this 82 is this magic year where everyone starts coming up with a version of that. And so Suzuki's version is called, and this is such a fantastic name. This is one of the greatest names in all of motorcycle technology branding. It is the full floater rear suspension. And, you know, when you talk about Honda Pro Link and, and other things, you know, people are like, oh yeah, that was great when that came out. But if you go to the track and you talk to some old timer and you say full floater, like you'll see like a little tear in the corner of some old guy's eyes. Like, Oh, I remember when that changed my life, you know? And it's basically Honda pro link, but upside down is what it is. 
Right. It is the exact same uh, system of linkage, but rather than have it in like in front of the rear wheel, you know, down low, it's it's all up high. It's at the top of the shock. It's it's really the same mechanism as ProLink, but for whatever reason, people thought it was the business. I think it's because you could see it better on the bike. So people were like, oh, that's got the full floater. And just like Honda did the ProLink, Suzuki was really aggressive about putting these huge yellow full floater stickers on all the swing arms. And if you're doing a restoration of one of these bikes today, that is a must have is new full floater stickers, which plenty of people out there still make. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, okay. So, so first of all, this bike was just winning everywhere. If you were amateur racing, you wanted a CR 250R. But if you were a pro, you wanted the RM250Z. And here's why. it No other bike had the power. No other 250 had this power. This was 35 horsepower with the 250. Its issue was, is that it was a screamer. So almost none of that torque was down low. It was all up high. This had a big kick. Once you got up to the mid-range of power, finally a little bit of torque and everything, then boom, it all comes in at once in a really aggressive way. Whereas the Hondas had a smoother, I mean, it still had a 250, you know, uh, a two-stroke kick to it, but it had more low down power. This was point and shoot, give it the beans, you better be talented. But if you're talented, no one's going to be able to touch you. Now, the specs keep getting impressive. This is a 1980s 250 full motocross works bike, essentially. What do you think it weighed? Uh, What is a two-stroke? It's a bit simpler. I'm going to say 260. 212 pounds. Ooh. So Suzuki went fanatical with weight savings on this to the point that the one uh, thing about this bike that's not ideal is... I will say the tubes on this frame look... are not confidence-inspiring. Right. <laughs> they are, but again, the thing only weighs 212 pounds, right? And all these motocross riders were, you know, sitting around 150 pounds sopping wet. So... But they still are. Well, right, yeah. You put your average dude at the track these days is not 150, right? They all kind of look like us. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but they Suzuki stayed with 38 millimeter front forks that were not inverted to save weight. And Suzuki argued that they still had the same rigidity up front, but it just wasn't true. Now, if you get one of these today... The big trick is to get uh, the forks off of a 1988 to 1990 Suzuki RM, which are 43 millimeters, fully adjustable, inverted, and all that stuff. And it goes straight on. So nice. your rake and everything, st- your rake angle, your your trail, all of it stays the same. You've just got much more rigid forks. And they all fit perfectly. It's all still Suzuki. It's all great. So... 
they reckon that if you get a 1982, which is what they all consider to be the best motor, with the 1990 forks, which are considered to be the best forks, but the rest of the 1990 bike was apparently garbage, and you marry those two together, you get the what people claim is the coolest two-stroke motocross bike of all time to own. So, uh, some other kooky things about this bike. Liquid-cooled. I did see that. With a single radiator, not the dual radiator s- setup that you see on so many motocross bikes. Um, this had a, for the time and for the year at least, a brand new Makuni flat slide carb, which was a big deal. Um, it's not super sophisticated, but it's the carb that kind of leads up into the carb that bikes had from about like the late nineties to, to like, you know, 2004 ish. Right. Those, those carbs. Um, let's see what else have we got here? I mean, there's a bunch of kooky things. The air box is real kooky. Um, apparently these bikes are kind of a pain in the ass to work on just because Suzuki used a lot of really weird size fasteners and whatever. But, the big thing, uh, well, another big thing about it for me is it's just a really cool looking bike. Um, you know, some people say they can't really tell the difference from from one motocross bike to another, but I argue that this one. Let me let me bring up a shot for you, and hopefully this will be the uh, the one that. Yeah, I mean, look at this. Look at this thing right here. And we'll make this the picture in the notes if we can. Let's cast it up to the screen. I will say, I absolutely love, like, 80s-style vector art. Oh, yeah. It's it's the sort of thing that you would normally find on, like, a blank VHS cassette box. It's... I don't know what it is about it, but it's. It, I love all like the stickers on this and just the colors they use. It's it's so eighties. Here we go. So yeah, look at the like. Look at these these awesome stickers, like the blue seats. You've still got the seventies round number plates on the back. I mean. I don't know. I think this is an especially cool looking dirt bike. Personally, I've always loved the Suzuki blue and yellow. I've said that on the show before. Um, Like the really super cool move with these is later in like the, the nineties Suzuki was doing these bikes with the frames and the engines painted blue. You know, like when Honda was doing that with them painted red and it didn't work. It does work with them painted blue for Suzuki. Okay. Uh, let's see if we can find a picture of one of those because it, it really pops. It 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 works. Um, I mean, and there's some green stuff going on towards like more the '70s era with this, but really the. Let's see if we can get to a 1990s one here. This is not making for great pod, but I just have to find one of these bikes with the blue because you're gonna freak out. Here we go. See, doesn't that work? That's pretty good. This is the same bike just a few years a few years later. 
Well, that's pretty good, but it's it works because it's not like the whole bike is blue. Right. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of yellow, but the blue and yellow, I don't know, it, it pops for me. So anyway, so um, so to put this all together, um, we've got a bike. So uh, Cam just bought one of these, an 82, for $300. Nice. I mean, it needs gone through with everything. It Like, it runs, but like... It, <laughs> You know, we don't want to ride it, right? The, right? the forks need done. It needs a new rear spring. It needs the carb rebuilt. It needs everything cleaned and repainted. It needs new seat cover. It needs all the plastics just like just polished up and, and redone. It needs it needs a lot, but it's still a running one that you got for 300 bucks. The top dollar on one of these, if you really restore it really well, they go up to four grand. Now, two to three grand is more realistic, but I have seen the estimated values as high as four. So that's why I'm talking. This is one of these, like these 250s, these old CR 250s and these RM 250s, like in the, the Yamaha 250s, you can find them all kind of screwed up and no one wants to mess with them for, you know, 300 bucks is really low, but five to 800 bucks. And if you're willing to put in the time, uh, they, and they're so easy to rebuild. So, yeah, I think over the next year, slowly we're, we're going to do the, uh, we're going to do the blue frame and engine casings on his okay so we're, we're gonna do a little bit of a an 80s slash 90s sort of restoration job but yeah uh so yeah so like i said um cool value if you're gonna restore it or just have it you can do the trick of get the 82 with the 90s suspension that goes right on and have a bike that kind of rides like a modern bike but with that vintage 250 style power and and the styling. So if like you can just be the coolest guy out there on the trail or the track, and and that's really neat. Um, like it's got interesting technology for the time. I mean, if you really want to get into Suzuki's reed valve system for this, it's interesting why that made so much power and the power and the way it made the power. Um, the liquid cooling when not a lot of bikes had liquid cooling, and that's what let it rev so high. Um, Again, well, the, the it styling. Was also, it was also Suzuki saying, "There's no fucking way we're going four stroke, right? Two stroke, ride or die, ride or die." <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah, and you know, it, and if you're gonna have an old bike, this is a specific model in a specific year. That's a good one. You know, you could have this, and you can just say to people, "When this was new, this was the business." Right. So yes, yeah, that's the uh, the Suzuki RM250 1982. Why do all the cool um, like 80s dirt bikes just they all just have like this weird sort of like McDonald's esque two tone to them? I love it personally. I, I think no, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, like uh, yeah, dirt bike styling's really, really lost its way. Uh, Kawasaki definitely hit a stride in the early '90s with those KDXs and 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 KXs um, with all the green and purple. 
Suzuki's Suzuki was definitely the best through the eighties up to 1990 here. Honda's kind of always been a little off. Yeah. Yamaha's always been good, but never great. Yeah. Um, yeah. They need, yeah. Work on it. Let's anyway, yeah. work on it and get back to us. So let's see. Do we want to take a break? Do we want to get into emails? Where do you, where do you want to go now, Swigs? Uh, let's just keep rolling. Although I do not know what these emails are that you speak of. Um, I thought we had some, did we not? Did we already catch up on emails? Well, let's do that after a break, but let's move on to another subject for now. Okay. So let's get into this ADV racing situation then. So or if lack I just, thereof. lack thereof, like if I just Google ADV motorcycle race series, right? I, I mean, I find stuff, but it's all like one-off things. There's, and I say this because I was thinking like, oh, well, the Dakar is going on right now. And I like the Dakar. Everyone likes the Dakar. But the Dakar and like the Baja are kind of, are kind of like motorsports Olympics. They're not even like Olympics. They're like the Commonwealth Games, which is like the Olympics, but you've <laughs> never heard of it. No, people have heard of the Baja and people have heard of the Dakar. It, but it really. But you is. wouldn't know what channel it was on. Well, that's true. But it, it it's multidisciplinary in that it's 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 ATVs, it's motorcycles, it's trophy trucks, it's it's everything but aircraft and boats, right? And right. And it's it's over sand, it's over mountains and rocky terrains, it's over this and that, and, and and it's it's all over the world now, and it's 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 um it moves around, and it's it's the closest that motorsports gets to the Olympics, I think. Now, and, you know, and you got like Dakar and you got Baja, and that's kind of like your summer and winter, right? Olympic, right? Right. And and that's sort of it, and. You know, ADV really kind of shines in this in this area, but I'm talking about ADV motorcycles. There are plenty of rallies. There's plenty of one-off events. There's rallies that just enthusiasts can go to. There's guided tours you can take. There are race series that are very local that almost fit the bill, but they're really just sort of like... Um, cross-country um dirt bike racing right that you know like like motor like um like motocross endurance races and stuff like that is very close to what i'm talking about but it's not really what i'm talking about thinking about more like uh rally car like class b type yeah uh-huh yeah yeah there's the, yeah there's stuff that's basically rally racing but with motorcycles exactly and that's all well and good that's wonderful but I'm talking why with the popularity of motorcycle of ADV motorcycles in this country and Europe when things like the like the bagger racing exists just because it's a vehicle that lots of people have so lots of people would like to see people race them well a lot of people have adventure bikes and a lot of people would like to see those raced so why don't we have a MotoGP of adventure bike racing? Right? Right. And I was thinking about this because a, a listener sent us an email about 
um, um, sort of a catch up. And he was like, Oh, by the way, you know, you should really be checking out supermoto. And this was a, an email from a couple months ago. And I was just going through trying to catch up on emails with people. And I was like, Oh yes, I need to check in on this. And the, the supermoto series is fucking rad. And they were just taking, um, road courses that were maybe not even a mile long and just adding like a quarter of it, making it dirt or going off the track and then back onto the track. And exactly. And it was great. And I loved watching it. And, you know, the races were real short, but you know, I, I watched a few and I was like, this is fantastic. And I just thought, yeah, like cause supermoto goes back to the seventies. Right. But I'm like this full on ADV riding. What? Why doesn't this really exist? Because it's such a popular category of bike. So, Dorna, who does MotoGP and World Superbike, would be the perfect people to set up a series like this. And it's you know you wonder like, well, what do you want the standard to be? You can't just make it like the Supermoto tracks because well, that series already exists. Well, that's the whole point of ADV is you don't know what's around the next corner. So you, uh, I would say if you're trying to do this series, just open it up and go, hey, here are the bare minimum requirements. We want these kinds of different conditions. Like, you know, here's six different track conditions we'd kind of like to have. Uh, if you can meet four of them, great. See, just throw it at us and we'll, we'll try to build a series around it. But it's all going to be about rider skill, not top speed. So you don't need crazy amounts of money. I imagine this is something you could do with stock bikes because it's 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 the rider skill navigating the terrain. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, it's also just a matter of, you know, even at a low level, just being able to get to each event. Right, but if the whole series can move in one or two semis, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Especially if every team goes in together for the cost to share the cost of moving everyone from location to location. Well, and you were talking, you know, at this point, we've got these big tracks that have built-in camera spots in them, but at this point, why aren't we just moving to an off-road racing situation where we just have drones placed at different parts of, of the track. Yeah. You, well, you can for, well, for the slower stuff, you can just have a drone following every rider, but yeah, you could also just have like just a really high up drone with some sort of mechanical zoom. And you can really have like a massive sprawling track or trail that you can just do fairly easily. And if you have to like, if you just have it as like at like stations where you just have to have like a dude there with two drones and every 30 minutes, he's got to like put a new battery in a drone and send it up to swap it off for the old one. You can do this continuously without having to have chase helicopters and big TV setups that are, got manual zooms that like you've got a cam a professional camera operator on each one and at this point we can do we can use some combination of gps and software 
to get him to do it all automatically. I think you could have like a really long, like sprawling course, like throughout Moab and you could have it all shot on drone, except for like the start, the finish, the start line, the starting line, the finish line. Yeah. I think, I think at least within the U S between, between, yeah, that Moab, like Utah, Nevada area here in Colorado in the mountains, the Pacific Northwest, Montana, and then there's probably also a lot of cool stuff like in Smoky Mountains, that kind of stuff, and maybe even a couple like cool swamp spots in uh, in Florida. I bet there's some. I way think we got could... a really great ADV like series right there. But I bet you could do something crazy like have. Uh, I bet you could go to Appalachia and have like the tail of the dragon integrated into an ADV course. Yeah, just parts where you just leave the road, like, well, I mean, loads of people riding the dragon leave the road, but <laughs> um, but parts where you leave the road intentionally and then meet back up with it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I bet Tale of the Dragon would be a great ADV course. You just have to plan out and flag it out and get the, and get the drone cameras there, and people would love the shit out of that, you know? But also... You know, and with the with the classes, you know, you could get a six fifty singles class. You could do this new sort of five fifty to seven hundred uh, twins class that's kind of emerging in these mm-hmm. bikes, and then do the big twelve hundreds. You know, and I think I, I was we were talking about this the other day, and I was joking. I was like, I'd love one of the rounds to just be four hundred straight miles across Kansas on BMW twelve hundreds. <laughs> Just a totally straight shot. Just, all right. This is one of the things that people say these bikes are great for. Let's just, you know. But I think not every round, just one round. That's just a 400 miles in a straight line. Just go. (laughs) Just, oh, just, well, you could also just do uh, uh, Kansas City to St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would work too. You could mix it up and you've got to stop at like two strip clubs and like two sex two sex stores. Right. Yeah, you have to stop and eat 14 pancakes at one point. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pick up one suction cup dildo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like all the all the pit stops are at Starbucks. Uh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um I don't understand because I think as far as a race series goes, this would be one of the cheapest to create, right? We're talking it could it could be organized on the level of um uh, TT races. Yeah. So think about how TT races exist in Ireland and Northern Ireland. There's not a lot of camera work. There's not a lot of this that. You know, these people show up and do it. And I know that there are ADV events that exist kind of at that lower non-celebrated level, but when all you need to do is come out with some TV rights, a streaming app, and some drone cameras, and a couple reporters on the ground just to get it up and going and introduce you to some of the people, I I don't know. This seems like exactly the sort of thing to start capturing people, because... Uh, no one expected this bagger racing stuff to catch on, but people really love it. I, I know I, every time I come across it, I'm like, yes, I'm going to watch this. This is really weird, and I love it. Uh, you know, Some people think it's super trashy, but I mean, I, 
go fuck yourself. It's fun. So, um, yeah, I, let's see. I, I mean, I know people are going to come at me and go, Oh, you haven't heard about this series, Pete. I know there are series out there. I'm saying, why don't we have an FIM sanctioned international high profile ADV race series like we have World Superbike, like we have MotoGP, like we have very like AMA Supercross, like we have a lot of other th- you know, what why don't we have a high profile series because loads of people own these bikes. Hell, it was Harley Davidson's best selling bike. You you can't you you're going to tell me Americans are not interested in this. People want to see what they own raced. That that's how racing works. How always racing has worked, except for prototype racing. But I mean, the vast majority of racing is not prototype racing, right? So, yeah, I hmm. Yeah, you, you, know, you Well, you you said right off the bat, like hell, get all the uh, the drones in as a sponsor. Yeah, you can get like DJI in as a sponsor. And no matter how, you know, if you look at all the drones that are out there, you know, as pricey as they are, they're not as pricey as hiring professional camera operators operating like highly variable focal length, like $200,000 cameras. Like one of those cameras at like an FIM event could pay for like 50 drones. Right. Yeah, yeah, no shit. You'd spend more on the back end on like networking equipment and and how you would actually get that up to to the to the satellite truck and coordination than you would actually filming it. And also all these drones come with like artificial intelligence to do motion tracking and have chase modes and everything now. So you could just have like okay, this race is going to be like four hours long. So we need eight drones to follow this one guy. Or we can do eight drones per person or like two drones swapping off and we just need a bunch of batteries or whatever. Like there's all sorts of ways you could do this or you could do the static version where you just send them up high. But there's, there's lots of cool ways you could do this, but you could have like really remote long tracks. And I think you would want to make it the whole system work as What's the longest track you can do feasibly on one fuel tank? Right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Does does Moto America really need to blaze the trail on this and have a legit ADV circuit? I think it'd be pretty cool. I, because yeah, I mean. Off the top of my head, I can think of three or four different areas. Here in Col- I mean, well, first of all, there's 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 about 160 legit off-road areas in Colorado. Uh, we can't pick five of those that are good for this, and then televise it with some TV rights. Yeah. Well, also, if we can close Pikes Peak for a race, for multiple races, we can close some bullshit country road stretch along i-25 next to some trails and get some road and dirt action on a full course no problem 
Right. Yeah. And then all over the place in Utah as well. And yeah, and again, Pacific North, Northwest, it's the, the, the part that's puzzling me is why doesn't it exist when it's so cheap? Now I know there's versions of this with, with legit dirt bikes and motocross bikes and, and all that stuff and 650 singles, but they're all like real. I'm talking about, I'm talking about BMW GS 700s and 800s and 1200s. I'm talking about Tenere 6, 6, um, uh, 700s. I'm talk or 750. Is it 700 or 750? 700. 700. I'm talking about the, that, that, um, that TRK, uh, you know, 500. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking just, or just straight up KLR 650. Um, yeah, I, I would put that in the adventure bike category. Yeah. Um, like legit adventure bikes, not dirt bikes, like road and asphalt, like adventure bike, like, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. Like a mix of of on-road and off-road, but make the off-road a little like make it aggressive. The weight and the fuel tank size have to be large enough, have to be high enough that every uh motocross racer hates it. Yeah, I mean, but even if it's not super aggressive, just the fact that it's a race, not a rally, not a multi-day like pace yourself kind of thing like nope the the next 45 minutes whoever turns the most laps wins right i would even go so far as to not do laps i would do like one long course and do it rally style with like do it timed and have everyone take off at different start times yeah yeah that works too yeah there's lots of different ways to do it but again it's so cheap because you don't have to deal with infrastructure the whole point is you set up these drone cameras wherever they are and that's it that the, the, other than that it's like it's it's spray paint on trees you know it, it, we're talking we're talking about the same amount of money that it costs to televise frisbee golf well, maybe a little more than that. Well, but- not really, because the teams are going to get themselves there. You're just putting out a course through the woods and across some and across some roads, right? We, yeah. So you're not going to have grandstands. So you don't need to pay event organizers. You don't need to deal with. I mean, there's some legal stuff and all that, but it's not. It's not all the crazy shit that in, that's involved with like you know Formula One in Monaco, right? Imagine how expensive that is to put on. You know, yeah. we're, we're not. This isn't the Indy Five Hundred. This isn't even the the organization that has to go into a Moto America event, where you've got all the different garages and all the different people checked in and checked out and parking and security and all that stuff. You're just bringing some people out. You're setting up some tents and you're going. Honestly, you're like, not charging admission. You're not. Yeah, for the first year, it would be like. We're only going to request that you tear your motor down if you podium. Right. Yeah. But if you're Dorna, you can just run ad spots for it or just give people half of the races of the first season for free with their MotoGP subscription. And be like, here's a taste. You want more? All right. Or just take it as a complete loss the first year. But yeah. 
I, I think, Amer- I mean, Americans just have this hard on for off-road versus road racing. They just do. They always have, right? I, how many, how many people I, here in Colorado? I see off-road enthusiasts every day, right? And you know, like, and I meet someone that's into MotoGP twice a year. But all I have to do is drive through town, and I will see someone with their Jeep covered in mud, like whatever time of the year. It it's just a thing, and these people are everywhere. They're, you know, they're in places where you wouldn't think you could do serious off roading, like Kansas, <laughs> but they're there. Um, it's it's like this quiet sport. Like you know, I, people are only aware that lots of people hunt because it's sort of people are very visible when they go to do it, but. I, I, yeah, you know, like the, the, the popularity of hunting and all that stuff is trailing off. But as um, as we get more safety focused and whatever, this 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 um, this ability to go take a vehicle off road and not have to be obeying the rules of traffic on the road and just being able to unleash an engine somewhere is becoming more and more appealing to people. And I think it's one of the key components to the ADV bikes being so popular people buy it and it's like oh i may never take this off road but there's this possibility that i could and i could really get deep out into the woods somewhere and just be ripping it around and i think that's the magic that these bikes hold for a lot of people and so of course they want to see that lived out yeah because that just kind of lets them live that dream in their mind even more Mm-hmm. Just the way sport bike guys love MotoGP because it's like, oh, this is the pinnacle of my little my little thing. So I'm continually confused why this race series doesn't exist because it's cheap. The fan base is already there. There's already small versions of it, and then we've got things like the Dakar and the you know, and there's no shortage of one-off events and rallies. We just need to connect this into a series. Why? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, let's see. We're at um, an hour here. Um, oh, we were going to talk about the electric bikes. Right. Do we want to take a break or just roll into it? Let's just roll into it. Okay. So, Swigs, give us an update on your electric bike. So, swapped out the frame uh, and painted it a color that I can only describe as strawberry menthol. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a little pink. Yeah, it's a little pink. Uh, but it's not like a clean pink. It's it's a very uh, no. It is not. It is. It's rough. It's uh, the spray can said orange. It was not orange. Um, it also wasn't a very good paint job. Yeah, it's, you really should have <laughs> called me to help you paint it, but okay. But I'm living with it now. Got it all painted. Uh, I got the motor back in, or I got it all back together. Well, before you go further with this, just catch people up on what happened that this was required. So, 
Oh, well, I didn't put uh, a torque arm on the axle. Um and essentially well because essentially the fr- the on the on the frame it's just got standard mount. hold on hold on Let, let's go back just a little bit further i'll, I'll catch people up so okay for, for anyone that because it's been long enough it's been a couple months since we've talked about this so uh around september you bought a bunch of stuff to put together a e-bike yes you had an existing uh cannondale you know like eight hundred dollar bicycle yeah. And you were like, you know what? I'm going to go and just let's go fully bike just because it's a fun project. So you bought the motors, the controllers, the, all the stuff, the battery, the, the everything and wired up this bike. And you did it surprisingly quickly. It was like a week just in your spare time, just here and there. Um, and I, as I recall, it was like only one complete weekend day and the rest was just like, when you weren't at work, you just just doing it in your apartment. Um, and then you went for one great big ride and then a block away from home, the back wheel came off. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you had not really specked out everything for, for, for the, the, the torque arm at the, at the, where the, on the rear axle for this bike. But anyway, so you thought, okay, well I've got to fix this, but while I'm at it, I'll do a few other things. So you decided to repaint the bike and a bunch of other stuff. No, I, t- well, I totally swapped the frame out. Oh, that's right. You I, that's right. That's I why toasted, you repainted it. That's yeah, right. Because I, I toasted the original frame. Right. And so, you, yeah, you, you got a new frame, which you, you stripped down, repainted, put that on, um, took all the bits off of the old bike, put them on the new one. And now in the last couple of days, you've just finally got it all back up and together and going and there's no problems now, right? Uh, well, I do need to replace the chain. Oh, okay. Well, well, it, it's, it's a pretty, bicycle chain. That's not a big deal. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I've, yeah. I've just got to do that. It's just um, every quarter of a mile or so, if you're just pedaling hard, if you're just standing on the pedals, you can hear the massive thunk and the whole bike judder. Oh, as, it just jumps teeth as it has to. Well, yeah, as it has to jump a tooth to stay in sync with the chain. It's pretty bad, but yeah. Uh, no, but other than that, yeah, it's it's doing good. Um, I do still want to get the second motor on the front wheel at some point. Oh, I um, thought that was for for future projects. Well, in any case, we've yeah. learned a lot, though. Uh, well, also explain to people what you had to do with with the motor. Oh, because well, when the wheel came off, you basically severed the. Uh, the, the the wiring to the rear motor yeah so i mean it is it is just like a little 1500 2000 watt electric motor but it's a hub motor and it's a direct drive hub motor which uh the simplest explanation i can give for a direct drive motor is imagine just a stator Except instead of going around the, um, instead of hanging off the motor, um, you know, off the, the camshaft, it's wrapped around your rear axle and it's a three, uh, a three phase, uh, it's a, th- a three phase motor. So it's essentially a stator running in reverse around your rear axle. 
so it's actually pretty torquey. And on an electric bike, it's just fitting into... Because it's just a mod for, for a bicycle, it just fits into the the dropouts at the rear of the frame. Now, if you don't put a, uh, a torque arm on it, it has more than enough torque to just completely round out and spread the dropouts on the frame. And once it's free of the frame... It's going to apply like just a solid 40, 50 uh, Newton meters of torque to essentially just gathering up the the motor cable as it rolls around and out from under you. Uh, so it totally destroyed the, the, the motor cable on it, which is not all that simple of a job to patch up. Because it's like an 11-pin cable. Um, you've got the three-phase power going to it, but you've also got like five hall sensors. You've got uh, a temperature sensor. You've got a speed sensor. There's all sorts of stuff that goes into it. Uh, so I had to take that apart, get that all soldered up, uh, put it back together, test all the hall sensors, uh which uh wasn't too hard i kind of dragged my feet on that but yeah i salvaged it uh and got it all back together and now it's running again uh and i do have the torque arm on it this time it's a nice little 20 dollar part that would have saved me a lot of pain uh but yeah it's back together now so yeah, it's back together, and we're already thinking about looking at the next electric bike project. And I think I've come to an emotional place where I'm fine to do this. And um, I think what we're going to do next is hybrid Vespa Adventure slash Motocross. So... Uh, famously, I put my, my Vespa through, through a lot of drama <laughs> last summer, and I could still just do a regular restoration to it, but the more I look into it, I'm thinking I want to do a full on, like crazy, truly original, uh, dirt scooter build. So what I want to do is take the Vespa and I originally thought this was going to involve welding, although I have found they're hard to get a hold of, or you can create them yourself. Basically, these little like mini bicycle frame looking things that fit um, in between the steering column and that like they just mount to places where things like are that are already mounting points on a Vespa to provide a crossbar support. Uh -huh. I mean, you never really want to do huge jumps on a Vespa, but if you're going to be doing anything thing like that at all, you want some sort of cross bra brace like support there. So you just don't bend the thing in half, but um, upgrade the suspension front and rear. But the big deal is we want to put like leave the 152 stroke motor in the back 
and put an electric hub motor up front. So we've got two-wheel drive. And I am super duper excited about this. I think that this is going to be the ultimate, truly, truly ultimate mid-Ohio machine. We So uh, we want a, you've already found the motor that we need. So it yeah. is a it is a motor built inside of a 10-inch rim that just goes right into a Vespa. Like that's it. It's it's already done that way. Then um you don't have to deal with all the disc brake nonsense because it's an electric motor. It's a brake already. Well, yeah, it's not like the front brakes on a Vespa or any use anyway. True. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the regen's probably legit going to be as good as the front brake ever was. Um, so yeah, upgrade that front shock, put that motor in, and then um, well, here, let me see if I can if I can cast this picture up here. I'm gonna show you this, and this is what I'm thinking for the cross brace swigs. If I can, oh my gosh. Come on, let's get to it. Let's get to it. There we go. See this this bicycle frame that just basically bolts inside the Vespa already? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we can mount a battery to that as well. I'll try to remember to include a picture of this for people. But just imagine a bicycle frame that just is inside the the, the footwell of a Vespa. So you just like wedge it in and then there's some places to bolt it to hold it in place. But ultimately it's just when the fl- when the frame flexes that just takes the it just supports right it. so you don't bend the bike in half right and also look in this picture they got some some gas cans uh, attached to it and everything but these are all places where things like these are already mounting points on a vespa already right so you know i'll have to give up my helmet hooks oh no right um but yeah, if you've ever seen like the um, the passenger like foot peg little mounts on a Vespa that goes to those up to where the helmets hang to where the glove box is. So it makes a nice little tr- uh, triangle there for you. So anyway, so um, yeah, uh, a lot of people go to like trouble to cut out the side covers over the engine to let more airflow in. Uh, of course, we're going to put dirt tires on it. And I'm thinking just completely eliminate the kickstart because it's only a liability. And if need be, we were thinking, oh, well, the bike can just pull itself and get moving with the electric front wheel and then go to a bump start from there. Yeah. And then I can also just get rid of the starter motor for weight savings. But um, so we're going to put bark busters on it, like as shown in the picture here. We're going to put bark busters on the scooter. We're going to put some extra guards on it. We're going to put stuff to, you know, hold, you know, adventure things. Um, but the the big deal is um, is the electric front motor. So we're thinking a thumb drive for the front wheel, right? Yeah. And then the, just leave the regular throttle just where it is, no problem. Um, you know, take off the uh, the front brake handle. Don't need that anymore. Well, I don't know. The, the regen's automatic, so... Um, well, you could just disconnect the 
the cable and um or you could just dis- disconnect the existing front brake and you can run um, oh yeah the cuz the disc brake's coming off there's no need to have yeah. it yeah but you can keep the you can keep the um the 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 brake lever and you can hook up the um the pull sensor for the for the electric brake Oh, so as I do a roll on, I also pull back on the front brake, and that might give me a better sync between the two. Well, no, you can just uh, with for the regen braking. There's just a little like spring loaded sensor that you can hook up to it, um, so you can just reuse the front brake to operate your regenerative braking on the front wheel. Oh, okay. I mean, I expect to pretty much never be doing that because. I'll be riding around using only the rear engine for, I'm going to say, 75 to 80% of the time. But as I'm going up hills, as I'm going through mud, as I'm, you know, as I'm going to beat that. I mean, I made it up there last time anyway, but this time (laughs) I am going back to mid-Ohio with my 10-inch wheels with dirt tires on them, new fresh dirt tires, and an electric front wheel. And I am going to hit that Widowmaker hill climb in a way where nobody can contest that I didn't do it. And I mean, I still think that a Kimco people with its 16-inch wheels is better for this. But I already have the Vespa, and an off-road Vespa is just such a cool idea. And I can still ride it around town. It's not going to take away from riding it around town. And if anything, people are just going to think it's cooler. Because they're going to be like, what is this zombie apocalypse Vespa all about? Is Everyone's going to be like, oh, is this your zombie apocalypse vehicle? And I'm going to be like, <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's going to be super weird to have at the track. And it's going to be the ultimate mid-Ohio thing. And I'll just be a fucking hero with it. But I already own it, and I also don't have a title for it. So it's just a beater Vespa. It's not really special. It's not actually vintage. It's from like 2004. But no one gives a shit, right? So this is what I'm doing. We are going full adventure scooter. Now, the question is, is that, sort of in tandem with this, or maybe right after this, we now know enough that we're also going to do the two-wheel drive, the the electric two-wheel drive dirt bike, like full dirt bike. So we've got to do some like real thinking. Do we want to use an existing dirt bike that we have, like one of those 250s, or is that a little big? Do we maybe want to find like an XR100 or something instead? Like what? I think the 250 is the way to go, just because of the um, the ridiculous amount of like weight of batteries it's going to have to take. Okay. Well, again, I like the idea of making all of our bikes, with maybe the exception of the your your e bike, take the same batteries as well. Uh, that gets a little bit tricky. I mean, there's ways we could do it. Um, but you're going to want a lot higher voltage for, for the scooter and for the, uh, for the dirt bikes, because like the motor on my bike maybe peaks at like 1800 Watts, which at 48 volts is fine. But when you scale that up to like 3000 or 6000 or 12,000 watts 
you kind of need to up the voltage or you're just going to start frying things. It's not a good idea. Um, so I, I think we will probably switch it up, but probably we're looking at 96 volts or higher. Um, unless we come up with some elaborate, unnecessary scheme to like, mix batteries in series and parallel i think we're gonna use a different standard but we'll see also i think the batteries we'll end up using are gonna be far less refined and a lot more sketchy um just because the e-bike ones are so there's a lot of extra volume to them with all the safety features they have which i don't know if we want to go that route we'll see yeah all right well okay uh let's see we're at an hour and 17 i don't know should we maybe just call this good here just do a shorter one for once yeah we can do that yeah we've promised shorter episodes for many many episodes in a row and not actually achieved it so i'm saying i'm thinking this is a good time to do it okay so we are going to sign out now reminding everyone stay safe stay tuned keep fighting the dragon um remember um it's been a while since people have left some reviews on apple podcasts or other places so try to do that for us if you can and remember pretty soon we're going to be releasing that nokomoto app so keep your um keep that on your radar okay with that let's do the outro what do you say let's do it okay and i don't want to die i just want to ride on my motorcycle mm-hmm.